Hello and welcome to So Farscape. A film-filled Farscape fan cast by a fervent fan. And a frankly fascinated first-timer. I'm Kaki. I'm Kay. And, and this, this is, is the story So Farscape. Yes. Uh, oh. We have plunged headfirst in one of our greatest hiatuses where we take a break from Farscape and explore something that, I mean, it, traditionally it has been something sort of related. I think we kind of stretched it with Crawl. Yes. Uh, We're kind of stretching it this time as well. I know, but in a different direction, because we realised, hey, there's films with the actors that we like in them. How about we do one of those? So this time we're watching Pitch Black. Pitch Black. With yes. Claudia yeah, Black. Black. No relation. Okay, yes. <laughs> Great joke. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think we mentioned this was the film that she was, uh, that she was filming in Australia at the time that she was cast for Farscape. Okay, I think they even... that doesn't make, quite make sense, I believe. It doesn't quite add up, because... Oh, so. uh, I mean, unless it was released much later than it was filmed. There was an overlap between uh, finishing Pitch Black and, and starting Farscape, and there were some complications, and the producers had to had to liaise, and I almost didn't get the job. Famed for many reasons, among others like the introduction of Vin Diesel to the action-loving audience. Okay. I think in the same year he also appeared in uh, Boiler Room, where, he's keep, where he keeps his shirt on, a very good film that uh, shows off his acting shirt shots. shirt on in this film as well. Yeah, but it's a. I know that it's a black tank, Mm. which is the next connection to So Farscape because we canonically approve profoundly of black tank talk. (laughs) So Uh, I didn't realize going into this that this was. I I mean, is this like the first part of the. I mean, I've I've seen the Chronicles of Riddick, I think, but I had no idea that this was actually involved uh, uh, with uh, Ah. Riddick as well. So I was a little bit uh, surprised by that. So originally it was going to be a standalone film. Mm -hmm. Here's the synopsis, by the way. For uh, Pitch Black, a spaceship full of passengers find themselves stranded on a planet inhabited by nocturnal monsters during an eclipse, and the only person they can rely on is a dangerous criminal named Riddick. Mm. And there would be two further films featuring this character. And like this whole sort of production epic is really kind of impressive, because originally Riddick was going to die. Yeah, and the uh, the lead character Carolyn Fly mm. would would, uh, would survive, but over the course of the the, the, the production, David Tui and Vin Diesel became rather intrigued with this this character Riddick. Like he's he's very cool and iconic, mm. and they also thought it would be interesting to subvert the final girl trope. Right, because yeah. it's a horror film, right? It's a it is it's yeah. a straight up uh, horror, which traditionally like the final girl survives, mm. but in this case they felt it would be actually a lot more interesting for the character's arc for her to die and for Riddick to survive and then go on to do some... And then in the interim, after the production of this film, David Toohey and Vin Diesel stayed in touch and it turns out they were both super into D&D and they were both huge nerds. And then they had some fun, like, how can we expand this world into something much, much wilder than the... uh, Are you talking about this this specific world or the, the universe? Uh, sorry, yes, the universe that they, okay, yeah. uh, they they occupy. How can we stay true to what was established in Pitch Black? Pitch Black! While v- just going wild with backstory and expanding the universe and making it much... I mean, there's quite a few hooks for backstory in the, mm-hmm. uh, in, just in the dialogue between the characters. But if all you... Like, if you've seen Chronicles of Riddick first, which is D&D in space, it's got necromancers... years ago. I don't... I barely remember anything of it. Uh, just... Vin Diesel looking cool. That's pretty much all I remember from Chronicles of Riddick. Okay, and, like, well, big curved, pointy knives. There certainly are a lot of that, but so is Keith David, who uh, played is he a the big Im- point, cur- pointy, curvy knife. No, he's the he's the Imam. He's the holy man oh, that appears yes. in this film as well. Some hoodoo holy man. 
probably on his way to New Mecca. I mean, is he actually a holy man? I mean, I know that Riddick calls him holy man all the time, but Imam just, I mean, I know we kind of don't use the term correctly in the Netherlands. I mean, how, how do you mean? So as far as I understand it, like as it's applied over here, it's often meant to be like the same as a pastor or a, uh, a priest, when in fact it's just the person leading the congregation in prayer. Oh, I didn't know that. I might be wrong. Please let me know if I'm wrong on this. But as far as I understand, there's always an imam, and he's the person who's leading the congregation in prayer, whether or not that is the person who is running the mosque, whatever. Okay. So I guess it's like, uh, uh, I know the word cantor from Judaism. Mm -hmm. It means singer. So it's the it's the person right. who performs the yes. liturgy. Interesting. Well, I mean, I guess they have, on the one hand, a lot of freedom, because the religion that's depicted in here, in the script, it was called Chrislam, mm -hmm. which is some... Okay. Like, uh, you know, in Dune, they had Zen Sunni. It was mm -hmm. this sort of futuristic blending of two Abrahamic religions. But uh, Seems I'm, unlikely, but, you know. <laughs> I mean, I mean, generally speaking, religions tend to schism and not to congregate. But, you know, that's... Oh, but, yes, but sometimes those schisms are themselves fusions of, mm. of others, right? I think that was the, the idea of the Zen Sunni. This may be a very small sect. Okay, I'll buy that. I went on Reddit, which I normally don't do very often, yeah. to look for Muslim perspectives on this uh, on this film because mm -hmm. there is an extraordinary amount of representation of sort of religious faith yes. in general and Islam in specific in mm -hmm. this film, which is extremely unusual for uh, for a science fiction film. So, okay, were there any interesting takes, or shall we be getting those later on? Uh... Oh, I mean. Keith David is an American actor, but he mm -hmm. did a very good job with the limited Arabic that he uh, that he speaks. Yes. They are saying God is great. Allahu Akbar. Yes. There's a moment of uh, a call to prayer, not the prayer the, 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 itself, mm -hmm. where the oh, what are they called? The pilgrims gather in a circle and face the sky as they as they do the call to prayer. But this is something that Islamic scholars have debated a lot. Like, how does one pray in space? Because yes. on Earth, one faces Mecca, and there's various ways to calculate where that is. Yeah. I believe when uh, when a Muslim astronaut first went to the ISS, they had to have a, a quick sort of conversation of what's the appropriate way to do it, because, yeah. you know, the ISS, the International Space Station, like, orbits every... 90 minutes, roughly. 90 minutes or yeah. so. So if you even if you have a five-minute prayer, you're way off if you face Mecca. Yes. And they decided that it was appropriate that if he faced Mecca at the moment that he started, then... The intent is what matters. Yeah, that seems to be fairly consistent in, Islam, in the Islamic faith, that like intent is more important than actual right. uh, facts. Like, if you, if, so, you, if you accidentally eat haram and you're not aware of it, then it doesn't count. Or intentionally. Like if, if, if it's the only way to survive, yes. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Uh, which was the only criticism leveled here. Like the imam sort of refuses some alcoholic beverage. Yes. It is forbidden. It is not permitted, especially while on hajj. No, it's not. If that's the only way that you can survive, right. it can be argued that that's not a great way to survive and they haven't no. done any exploring yet. Probably shouldn't do this. Dehydrates you even more. Literally the only note I think I have on the whole uh, religious part of this movie. It's like, clearly there have been some new rules because they're going to new Mecca, I noticed, not to, yep. old, not, not to old Mecca. Now that's like, like that I can live with. Uh, and there's another part in the movie where at one point the kids are throwing rocks at a pillar and he's going like, okay, they're, they're stoning the devil. Seven stones to keep the devil at bay. 
which yeah. is which yeah. is part of one of the Hajj rituals. So it's interesting to me how their Islam is pretty relaxed about renewing things. Like so, the, they have the traditional pillars. And those pillars have been put, torn down and rebuilt, and they're kind of care because oh. they are still the same pillars. Uh, uh, conceptually, yeah. Conceptually, they are. I mean, the locations are still important. It still has to be done in Mecca. So I'm kind of like, okay, that's kind of peculiar that like Mecca would be replaced with new Mecca. So that, that's that's quite a big change because the location is important, but the buildings and stuff aren't. They're, they're happy to tear down historic buildings like the house that uh, one of... Uh, 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 I think that's, that's particular to some streams of Islam, and I think mm-hmm. it's not universal. I know that that's the case for the, the dominant stream in... Uh, Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia, yeah. exactly. Like they, they specifically deliberately demolished uh, Muhammad's house to prevent it from becoming a, a destination of pilgrimage because that is idolatry. And yes, but the fact that it has to be done in uh, Mecca apparently isn't because well, there's still the God the Kaaba, which is yeah. also, I guess, they can't really go that far and tearing that down because that's... Yeah. That, and it's about what the Kaaba... Uh, the, sorry, Kaaba, I think that's Ka'aba, the pronunciation. Sorry. Uh, it, it's about what it contains, which could have been moved at some point in history, and then it's somewhere else. But here's yeah. the thing that I that I really, really loved. They spoke about, like, how do Muslims pray in space when mm-hmm. you don't even know where Earth is, assuming that's where, where Mecca is. Yeah. And the convention, I think that was determined, is Muslims praying together, stand in a circle, and pray to each other. Oh, okay. Because where is the seat of God? In your fellow Muslims. Fair. Yeah. Or, you know, where is yeah. the connection, which I, I, I yes. just really enjoyed. There's so much about this film that I really enjoyed. Okay, so one last thing. Yes. So about the specifically mention going on Hajj, when he says, like, oh, it's not permitted on Hajj. And I'm sitting there like, well, you're not exactly dressed for Hajj, are you? Because, you know, they're supposed to have a one garment, no buttons. This is, this is a specific dress uh, that you take on as you right. uh, progress on the hatch, as you start on. Oh, I'm not familiar with that. Yes, it's like yeah, yeah it's, it's it's basically it's the white it, it's the white robes, uh, specifically no buttons, and you right. you, you, you you what's the word? Dof, I mean, doff. Wear. I mean, yeah, you put on. Well, yeah, yes, you, yeah. you put on. Uh, you, you put that on, and then you are in the state of going on hatch. Uh, and that's okay. uh, and then there's also rules and then they those rules change again once you get into the territory around Mecca and then there's more rules and that's how it progresses. Yes. Well, I mean, we say rules but like rituals, ceremonies, rituals, yeah, which right? whatever, yeah. whatever you want to call it. Oh, fascinating. I guess like the fact that this is a made-up religion sort of allows for a lot of those freedoms Fair because they yeah. I believe the character is even called Abu, uh, uh, Abu al-Walid which and Abu means father, which is not a title in Islam, as far as I know, but it is mm. a Christian title for God and also for the pastor yes. or, the, okay. or, the, or the priest. So, yes. let's actually start with oh, the movie. God. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> Starting at the beginning. Actually, Starburst. Starburst is kind of appropriate because... Yes. I mean, we start with a classic trope of sci-fi movies, which is a slow pan across a spaceship. Yes, I, I listened to the director's commentary and David Tui did not want to start the movie like this. <laughs> he wanted to start with the character Fry in the interior and initial audiences were way too confused and disoriented about where they were. Like, yeah. is this a laboratory? Is this a submarine or whatever? So they had to do the... They, they, they flew this production model over to uh, to London and filmed this extremely slow scene. There's, there's a wonderful, like, five minutes 
almost passive-aggressive bit of bickering between David Tui and production designer or visual effects supervisor Peter Chang, mm-hmm. where David Tui goes, and it was such a long shot, and it got so much longer, and it was really sort of needling uh, <laughs> Chang, who said, well, yeah, yeah, we did faster passes, but then it looked small, and it's got to look big, so it had to be slower. Yeah, but the movie was already over budget, and it had to cut so much for your fucking shot. Ah, yes. And then we get the first shot, which is like the interior of the ship, where we see... The ship is kind of shaking, and I'm kind of like wondering why, because like there was on the other side, there was not no evidence of anything shaky going on. But this right. is much shaky cam as we pan over the, each of the main characters in cryo sleep. Now that I've watched it again several times, I'm, I'm really getting into how tightly it holds together. Yeah. Because the exterior shot that we see, I mean, it looks like a cool shot of some sort of space clouds or whatever, and the yeah. spaceship. I think it's a ring around the the. the uh, no, it's not actually. It's a. It's a comet. Yeah, it's a tail of a comet they're going through. Yeah. yeah, and it looks weird because it's sort of it's sort of circular. Yeah, which you wouldn't associate with a, with the tail of a comet, no. but that makes sense because it's crossing a star. The tail blasts away from the from the comet. No, I get that on the scale that we're talking. You wouldn't be able to see a curvature. It's well, a little bit spacey ways. Yeah, okay. no, I get that. But even but then, it's like that debris that is interfering with the with the ship. It's encountering. It wouldn't, make, it wouldn't make a ship buffet like it was an airplane in a uh, gusty, windy environment. Okay, maybe not with your FTL engines, but maybe these are fragile. They're not you don't... going FTL, otherwise it'd be way past that sun already. Okay, well then how would, how would, I mean... <laughs> I don't know. I mean, maybe it's a special <laughs> comet. Maybe it's a bad comet with lots of magnets in it or something. But the uh, little bits of cometary matter, as let, let's just go with comet for now. Yeah. Go shooting through the ship, they kill a few people, among which the captain. The captain's dead. You really are intent on going through this at a, oh, at a fair I mean, clip. No, I... I think okay. we've got the we've got the opening monologue yeah. by by Vin Diesel where he establishes oh, yes, himself. Oh yes, right. Yes, yeah. I, for, I forgot about I, for, I forgot about that part. Yes. They say most of your brain shuts down in cryo sleep. All but the primitive side, the animal side. No wonder I'm still awake. They say your, your brain goes to sleep and cryo, except the animal part. That's why I'm awake. And he's yeah. got these, he's in chains and he's got a bit in his mouth. And a, and a blindfold. Yeah, Vin Diesel did not love that. Oh, okay. I mean, being inside that unventilated cryo tube and blindfolded and a bit in his mouth and oh. like unable to hear what was going on outside of it was, <laughs> yeah, I can understand that he had a little anxiety attack in there. No, yeah, that makes perfectly good sense. So also a thing I noticed, no music. Oh, Yes. That takes a little while to kick in. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it comes up later, but it's, it, even then it's just mostly like sound effects and people like running rods over various string instruments to create a little bit of uh, yeah. anxious tension. But like, especially in the beginning, absolutely no music. No, and, and sometimes even no sound as well as, yeah. a, as a sort of dip in the, uh, in the intensity. This movie, it plays a lot with, with color, light intensity, mm. sound. Uh, music by Graeme Revell who's done a few other things. I mean, he, he's, he's particularly known for blending uh, synthesizers and a sort of uh, a techno-slash-house vibe mm-hmm. into, uh, into his movie scores. And we're introduced to one of the three lead characters, mm-hmm. Carolyn Fry. I'm just going to start writing this down right away because I'm going to click forgetting these names because I've just been thinking Did you have nicknames for them? No, pilot Chick. Yeah, Pilot Chick, I suppose, yeah. She does look a bit like Sarah Connor, but then again, she also looked like... Kate, what's her name, from Flying Doctors, but she would be too old for this role at this point. Oh, yeah, I meant to look up whether Rada Mitchell, that's the actress, so, was Australian because... Was Carolyn Fry, right? Yeah. Yes. Um, well, you generally refer to as Fry in the movie. Yeah, 
she becomes Carolyn more when other people address her later in the movies. Yeah, and they get I know close Riddick together. was the first one to kind of do that. And like yeah. in one of those little power modes. Hello, Janice. Oh, thank you, Janice, for helping me now, Janice. <laughs> what can you do for me today, Janice? It's like, Janice, could you, can I please talk to your manager, Janice? You know? Well, okay, yes, there are shitty ways to do it. But I, I mean... I struggled to do this in, in conversation when someone's told me their name. I've got to find ways to repeat it to them because otherwise I'll just forget. No, I get that. I mean, I am terrible with names. so You I, should repeat I, it back to people. I, I, like, I, I have been doing that and it does help. Nobody is named just yet. She falls out of one cryotube. Somebody else falls on top of her. I forget his name. It doesn't matter. He doesn't last very long. And no, he says, he why not. did I fall? Chronos shows we are 22 weeks out. So, so, so gravity was not supposed to kick in for another 19. He says, looking at his watch. You got 19 to go. Cool watch that keeps track of the number of weeks that you've been uh, away. I mean, that makes sense. My watch, I can like have different little things on it, which I want my watch to show. So it makes entirely... Oh, little complications, they're called. Oh, yes, they are. I think they yeah. are. Yeah, you can just, like, you you can select those, and I can imagine that someone in, in space would want something like that. All right, yeah. It seems like a elapsed mission time, remaining mission time, that sort of thing. They clamber into their jumpsuits and onto the, the, the sort of bridge. There seems to be a separated, like, cockpit and navigation station. Yes. To get some information on where they are, like, hopefully we're at least still in a shipping lane. But the ship is already dipping into the atmosphere. That was such a wild, like... To wake up, they open their windows once she climbs into the cockpit. She opens the window. Just tell me we're still in the shipping lane, man. Just show me all those stars. Come on. Big, bright. And they're in atmosphere already, and there's already, like, a cone of fire. And we see this ship, which is this long sort of train. It's a space train. Yeah, I guess it's a cargo pusher. Yeah, and you immediately feel... Yeah, that's not meant to land ever. No, it's got a little bit like, like the Nostromo, I suppose, where you have like the tug part and then the, the, the cargo part. Oh, yeah, yeah. This is an emergency dispatch from merchant vessel Hunter Gratzner, en route to the Tangier system with 40 commercial passengers on board. Bits are already coming off. The second-in-command guy is trying to send a distress signal, which, I mean, to me, it keys like it was coming through until we get a shot where a few little pointy bits get ripped off the outside of the ship, and then he's like, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, okay, that was the end of transmission. <laughs> yep. Not having any more of those. Those antennas were on the front, and they melt off. It's <laughs> yeah. so cool. Fry starts jettisoning parts of the ship. Yes. Now, I kept count of how she did this, because they, they built a really interactive sort of uh, cockpit mm-hmm. with lots of knobs and twistable things. It's sort of... Yes. Have you ever heard of a boppet? No. It's this toy that uh, oh, has... Oh, one of those. Yeah, twist it, turn it, pass it, bop. Yeah, that's... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's what I was thinking as she was in there. And I kept track of the number of handles that there are that you have to yank open okay. to do things. And I arrived at... Well, she pulls nine of them. She, she, doesn't, she doesn't pull the tenth. That's a, that's a lot of space for those interfaces. I'm, right, especially since they're big mechanical handles, which yeah. probably are not actually mechanically connected to anything right from what they're doing now I'm a, I'm a ux guy still so it's interesting to design something that is easy to uh, a, a switch that is easy to flip intentionally but hard to flip accidentally mm-hmm. right so there's uh, there's twist knobs that you have to grasp and then twist like yeah there's no way that you can like fall and stumble and accidentally turn one of those yeah. handles I guess you have to put a lot of force to show you I mean, really these, mean these, it. These, again, they seem to be like, you have to like kind of like pull the handle out a little bit, and then only then can you disengage it from the position. 
Oh, yeah, two-step. That's the impression I got from that. And you still have to use quite a bit of force to actually pull it out. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I know what you mean. It's like, uh, it kind of reminds me of a, uh, there's a video online of a, some big four-engine craft. So like, don't, don't pin me down on what it is. I think it's a, I think it's a Airbus. All right. Four-engine Airbus. And it just happened to have a film crew on board when they started developing engine trouble. Oh, dear. So there's this lovely documentary of these two Swiss pilots, mostly talking English with a clear Swiss-German accent, occasionally uh, talking completely unintelligible Switzer-Deutsh to each other. Schweiz-Deutsch uh, yeah. is perfectly intelligible to other Swiss people. <laughs> of course, yes. <laughs> uh, but it just happened to be a really well-documented thing of how they are going through the procedures and going through, uh, oh, like, cool. oh, we've got this engine's running a little bit hot. What do we do? Like, oh, well, we do this, we check that. Oh, it's been running a little bit too hot for 10 minutes. Okay, which means we have to now now shut it down. And they go, like, they get that shutdown procedure. And you can see just, like, the, the pilot at some at one point, you have this, like, these big center control switches with the, with the throttles and everything yeah and there's some f f very major switches there which are clearly meant to like turn this thing off and on and they're protected and everything and they literally go like okay confirm engine number three they look at each other the uh, co-pilot looks at what the pilot is actually doing yes confirm engine yes. number three okay click and now we turn it off and then they go would you like a chocolate <laughs> <It's> like <laughs> It's like in that, um, oh, the animated Madagascar film with the penguins. Uh, sir, yeah. sir, we're out of fuel. How do you know? Engine three is no, no longer, longer on fire. fire. Yes. <laughs> I loved how competent Fry is. Like, there is so much to do, and she's doing all of this. Because she's, yeah, she's the, uh, I mean, she's even described as the docking pilot. Like, that's oh, her yes. only job. And yet she's also fully rated to do an emergency landing. Because one of their problems is as soon as she puts on the, uh, flaps out the air brakes, one of them breaks. Yeah. And now it's in an uncontrolled spin because it's got asymmetrical drag and she's got to deal with that. And uh, she's not getting the horizon level because there's too much weight at the back. And so yes. she can't get her nose down. That's the problem. Yes, that seems to be the issue. So she jets another cargo compartment and eventually leaving her with only the compartment which has the passengers on board. Yeah. I thought this was brilliant. Because she's prepared to do it. The navigator or the uh, uh, the second yells at her not to. There's an awful lot of yelling in this film. <clears throat> yeah. Not a particular fan of that. Fry, what the hell are you doing? Don't you touch that handle. Fry! Partly out of moral concerns, but partly out of, you know, the company considers us responsible for every soul on board. Right. Uh, so a bit of COIA. So the sequence is, he tells her not to, and she lets go of the uh, the handle. Like, she yeah. she recovers, and then some other stuff goes wrong, and she goes, okay, no, I have to do that. But by this time, he's gone out of his chair and blocked the, the, the hatch. Like, he's physically uh, oh, barricaded it. Yeah, because I noticed that she actually decides to pull the lever. It doesn't uh, happen. And it doesn't, it doesn't yep. work. Oh, okay, yeah. So that, I, I missed the part where he does the blocking. 70 seconds, Fry. You still have 70 seconds to level this beast out. Meanwhile, the passengers are starting to wake up. They've been shaken out of their uh, tubes. Uh, there's a bit of uh, kerfuffling going on with them. And the ship crashes. It's very subjective. There are some interesting filming choices made by David Toohey. Yeah. Like there's some squished imagery to really stay. Th that comes back in the movie later on as well. So occasionally with the uh, with the monsters, you can also get this weird like stretched like funhouse mirror yes, kind of that's, that's a very good way to put it there's a very long very low flying crash scene where they're going super fast across the uh terrain but and then they start skimming the terrain actually see the crash scene which no well there's no there's, there's a long part where they're actually 
tearing their way through the terrain and like bits of the uh, the side of the ship get torn open. Oh, yes, true. Yeah. Which is great because you've got uh, uh, the, the second lead, Cole Hauser, holding on to a bulkhead as other bulkheads behind him are ripped off. Yeah, and he's just like, oh, no, that man's got a good grip. I imagine that when you see the airplane sort of disintegrating around you, you'd find that you can grip a lot tighter than you imagined. Mm. Suddenly that that pickle jar isn't as tight. <laughs> the glass of the cockpit shatters, and somehow she isn't minced meat. Yes. Yeah. And she doesn't even bother closing the shield again. I mean, they have that, like, shield over the front. Oh, right. She That's the that... first thing I would do is, like, slam on the button and close the, uh, close the blast shield. Maybe she isn't rated for IFR. <laughs> Instrument flight rules. See, I know no, aeronautics no, nerd shit it as well. Of, it kind of reminds me of that scene in uh, Titan A.E. Like, you know, when he, like, smash, smacks up to the window of the ship and he <laughs> pretends like he's washing and she just, like, <laughs> presses the button and the blast shield comes up and goes, like, yeah, go away. <laughs> All right. And now we've crash-landed and the survivors are wandering around. Yes. The two, to me, least interesting survivors are Johns. He's what seems to be a police officer. Right, yes. Transporting the prisoner, Riddick. Now, I say least interesting because we're not here because Vin Diesel is cool uh, or Riddick is cool. I mean, Riddick is, to me, just another sexy, grunting killer man who kills sexily and sex grunts through his grief. That's literally how I've described, like, The Witcher, uh, several other film properties. We don't... Uh, that we've had enough of those. Okay, so Riddick in this movie seems to be mostly just another adversary, like just the adversary within, where they would happily just ditch him, except they they can use him, and of course he's worth money to uh, John uh, Johns. Yes, because he's a, he's a prisoner, and Johns is transporting him, but he's a very intelligent prisoner and a, with a with a with a great like sense of survival and yes. uh, and uh, lots of physical be, skills. And yeah, he's like. A, killer we don't actually never never really find out what he was like sentenced to i mean he was like in the mines and then he got his eyes polished so now we can see in the dark uh, something that's handily retconned in the chronicles of riddick when uh, it's established that oh he was fibbing about that that's oh. not actually what happened He's, oh i was lying yeah damn you furlough <laughs> <laughs> good job bringing it back i lied uh, but yes, apparently Johns is actually quite capable of standing up to uh, Riddick. They're they're a good match in a fight. After I mean, Johns has a telescoping baton. True. I mean, I'm not saying he doesn't have an advantage, but he does manage. And Riddick is blindfolded and cuffed by the by the wrists and ankles. Yeah, but still. What do you mean? But still, I like mean, that's later, not later enough. Later they for fight you? as well, and they all he almost wins again. Like he captured, they can't really recapture Riddick. That is true. Uh, First thing on the scene, I'm I'm like, oh, the planet, oh, yeah, we got another, like, overexposed film to show that you are on an alien planet thing here. Okay. Uh, but so. this turns out to be, like, actually a plot, device, uh, a plot yeah. relevant. So I'll, 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 I, I will not critique that. I will just, like, accept this as now as we have a plot uh, as a plot device. Also quite a big swing, because what you're calling overexposed, that's called a bleach bypass process yeah. or a skip bleach process, which is something that you do to the original negatives. Thereby, I mean ruining them, honestly. Right. So this is quite a big risk to take that the studio wasn't entirely happy with. So they had to do some experiments like, is there any way to restore? Because like when you shoot film, 
because that was the norm at the time. They didn't have a digital post-processing mm-hmm. uh, uh, system for color correction like we do now. You have to treat the film with several baths before it's fully developed. Yeah. And one of them is bleach, which eliminates the, uh, I think, the silver halide from the emulsion. I think I'm saying that right. Yeah. But if you leave that in, you get much deeper blacks and much intenser highlights. Yeah. And you get this particular look, which nowadays is easy to do in Photoshop, yeah. but not so easy to do. Surely they could have made a copy and then, like, subject that to the process. That incurs significant image degradation. Yeah, but you're doing that intentionally with the bleach bypass anyway, so... Yes, but not in terms of resolution and sharpness, only in in contrast. Yeah, fair enough. So one more little thing about Islamic tradition. So you see when they're sitting there, the imam... Let's just... What was was his name No, no, no. Imam, in some cases it's called El-Imam. El-Imam. Which at first I thought was a mistake because Carolyn Fryer says, El-Imam. And I thought, oh, she just read the script and she thought a capital I was a lowercase l and she's saying el mam but that's not the case oh, it was okay. actually instructed like it's el imam because it's the imam right oh, okay definite article so he's like you, you can see them washing uh, him washing his hands in sand so that's not yes. one of those ritualistic things which is acceptable if you don't tell you, you perform a purification before you pray and yeah. you're normally supposed to do that with water but if water is not available you can use sand it's like yep yeah and where I've, it's where the intent is more important than the actual uh I have it written down. I saw that on, on, on Reddit. It's called Tayammum. There's, there's two M's in there. So I hope I'm pronouncing that, mm-hmm. uh, that correctly. And yes, it's the substitution of uh, 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 water with dust. Uh, so you can still do washing before, uh, before yeah. prayer. Cool that you noticed that. And we're also, much more importantly, introduced finally to Claudia Black, the whole ah, reason yes. that we're watching this film. <laughs> I thought Claudia really delivered her lines. Claudia Black, Leishaza. This is Claudia Black. Claudia Black is, um, has a popular TV show, Farscape, which is shot in Australia, also seen here in the States. Pretty popular down there. Thanks very much. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, pretty popular here, actually. No, really, thanks. Bloody hell. Who plays a character? Did you catch her name? I did not. Shaza, which Shaza. is such an Aussie nickname. Shaza, she and her buddy Zeke are described by... Uh, uh, Zeke is the antique dealer? No, Zeke is the... I mean, he looks, he looks aborigine to me. Oh, her, him, yes. Yeah, and he's, uh, he's her mate. The, the antiques dealer that we're also introduced to, who wears glasses, are called Paris. Paris P. Ogilvy. Antiquities dealer. Entrepreneur. Ah, who was supposed to die in France. Uh, yes, not so much. So at least we know that Earth still exists. That's not new France. It's just actual oh, good France. point, yes. But yeah, this is this is Claudia Black who took this role because she wanted to, you know, she wanted to be in a big budget movie and sort of earn her spurs as a, as an actress. Yeah, it's a nice big production. This out in the middle of, I think it's Central Australia or South Australia. Oh, I'm not entirely sure. It's I mean, a, somewhere you know they a, got plenty of this in Australia. This is a specific one called Cooper Pedy is the place. Oh, that's actually where they filmed Flying Doctors, I think, in that area. No way. Yeah. Or. Yeah, no, wait, Cooper Pedy is a town. That they, yeah, it's a yeah. town. Yeah, yeah. Wait, that's actually from Flying Doctors? Yes. Whoa, so there's more connections to Farscape because we've, referred, we've referenced Flying Doctors quite a few times yes. because you don't know any other Australian things. <laughs> yes, that's very true. Now, Cooper Pedy is, is really interesting. Like, uh, 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 Mad Max was filmed there and this film and I think a few other things. But other than that, like, the, the director described Cooper Pedy is just wild. You've got 180 degrees of 
fucking nothing. nothing. <laughs> yeah. This town, it's an opal mining town. Uh-huh. So uh, if you look at uh, uh, Google Maps, you see opal this, opal that, uh, a giant opal mine, and this spaceship, which is still there. Oh, nice. Yep. Yeah. Uh, you just left it there. Local entrepreneur bought it as a tourist attraction, and you can just go tour this. Cool. Yeah. And the rest is all opals, and he described that like there were eight, if you count cafes as restaurants, there were eight restaurants to feed all this film crew and all these actors. And they had one movie theater, which had a, a sign up saying, please no explosives in the theater. Because mm. it's a mining town. Yeah, yeah, no explosives. And sorry, I thought you meant please no explosives. <laughs> know about explosives before you go into the theater. <laughs> it's a mining town. Everybody knows about explosives. No, fair, fair point. I guess I used that to watch the dailies or something. Oh, they might have done. Yeah. I don't know. So it's an interesting little bit thing, which I don't think comes back. So like we see Paris like holding up his little compass thing, and he goes like, hmm, interesting. And we never hear anything again about magnetic fields or whatever, the thing he might have actually found interesting by looking at that compass. Well, we see the compass needle sort of twisting around. No, I so get that. But like, how many planets have magnetic poles? I think most of them. Why? Because of metal tends to like sink towards the core when planets are forming, and therefore why would metal form in planetary formation? Well, it, it's the heavy part; it tends to sink down. Yeah, but it's a heavy element. Yeah, look, that's what planets are made of. No, our planet is made of. Yeah, but our solar system is made of the remnants of a supernova. Yeah, you well, need... most of them are. What do you mean? Most, like, unless you have the very old uh, galaxies, uh, solar systems, they are all already made out of uh, remnants. Really? Of, yes. Oh, okay. It's only the very young ones that don't have. Yeah, I was going to say planets. because, yeah. like, you don't you don't get uh, uh, metals unless you have you know high intensity pressure fusion yeah, no, like absolutely. you get in a supernova. No, okay, absolutely. so that's actually normal. You're saying? Yeah, it's not uncommon. It's like it, old, uh, okay. older older galaxies or older uh, solar systems don't, but anything that's like at the, roughly the same age as ours would have that. Okay. Yes, we've already been through a supernova once. Interesting. Have, we are all made out of star stuff. Ah, uh, yes. Okay, so we have a bunch of survivors, and I'm going to name them for you. Okay. Uh, so we've described Fry, yeah, Johns, Jones, yeah. Riddick. Yeah. We've got Shaza, yeah. that's Claudia Black, uh-huh. and Zeke. Zeke. That's her buddy. He's the... Uh, I love this accent. <laughs> yeah, they get to just talk Australian. I know. <laughs> Ever wondered why I'm an atheist? Uh, there's Paris, who's the antiques dealer. He's the fancy boy. Yeah. There's Jack, the boy who turns out to be a girl who disguised yeah. herself as a boy. I think that completes it. The named ones. It's like the two other kids who are on the hutch with. Uh, oh, actually, yeah, I know their names. They're not. They're not important. That's yes. uh, that's Ali Hassan and Suleiman. They're the three pilgrims, the youth pilgrims. Yeah. That I guess. Uh, oh yes, of course. Keith David is uh, uh, is the imam. Yeah. Who is a youth pastor? Oh yeah. Because he's taking these boys on their on their hajj. Yes. Once in every lifetime, should there be a great hajj. A great pilgrimage. To get to know Allah better, yes. But to know yourself as well. Most of this film is about suspense. Uh, Suspense about the conflict between uh, Johns and Riddick. Mm -hmm. The morality of various characters, which, honestly, I found riveting. Establishing this, the lawman, as, you know, he is a drug-using mercenary and an immoral coward... As yeah. we is revealed in the end, and this this murderer with a heart of gold who can genuinely change and turn. I wouldn't call him heart of gold, but at least no, you that's know, fair. Ethical. 
and he to has a, a certain degree, or at least no ethical is probably not the right word either. He learns redemption from uh, Fry, who earns redemption on her own, which mm. I thought were three really really interesting arcs. Because, like, think about this: it starts with two minutes into the into the film, one of the lead characters is already on her emotional arc. She's just decided that she's going to sacrifice all these people that she's going to spend the whole movie with. Right, that's going to be haunting her this whole movie. Oh, yes. I mean, that comes back towards the end as well. Yeah. And in the end, she earns her redemption by first being willing to die for for these people, whereas first she was willing to kill them to survive herself, and then also actually dying for them. Yeah. And it's her example that, that teaches Riddick to evolve. I mean, I know we're jumping way ahead of way ahead of ourselves. I think we're going to be doing a lot of that. Yeah, because I want to honestly, I would prefer to talk mostly about the bits with Claudia Black in. <laughs> yes, she has a really good motivational speech. I can't remember what it is exactly she says, but she she talks- is the voice of reason. Yeah, even like okay, so Imam is the is the sort of peacekeeper, but she's the voice of actual reason of regular people there. Anytime you see her, she's got like a she's got like a welding torch, or she's she's putting something together. Yeah. Uh, uh, Riddick even described her like uh, smell of a woman, smells like boots, sweat, tool belt. Right, she's a prospector, she's a doer. I, for one, am thoroughly grateful. This beast wasn't made to land like this, but I think he did well. Actually, the only reason we're alive is because of her. Yes, I suppose you're right. Thanks very much. Yeah, thanks for saving our dicks. No, really, thanks awfully. Everybody's like bitching. I'm like, oh, you crashes. No, no, she's you saved. She saved us. Yeah, like, we would have been dead if it wasn't without her. Yeah, yeah. She landed a bus. How do you land a bus? <laughs> yes. Lots of parallels between this and a Doctor Who television film adventure. I, it's not the waters of Mars. It's maybe the Impossible Planet. Is that it? Mm. Where a literal bus arrives on a planet with uh, 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 complicated life forms. Oh yes, that's the other thing that I want to talk about. These uh, life forms that they'll encounter. Mm-hmm. But we'll start with okay. Riddick escapes. There's some problems there. Yada yada yada. Their priorities are first to breathe because it's yes. a low oxygen planet. Mm. And it's Shazza and Zeke who figure out solutions. They give everyone yeah. some oxygen bottles. Yeah, and tubes. bottles with regulators, and the rest of the movie, everybody's vaping entire, the entire time. <laughs> I didn't notice they have this cool little sound effect. That yeah, they were anytime using they take that. a toot. Yeah, on their uh, on their O2. There was talk of a scouting party looking for other people, but then we saw this one long stretch of like crashed ship and. Practical yeah. effect, that. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. I guess I just had to, like, run some bulldozers through this. Exactly. Yeah. Turns out that running two bulldozers for two hours was cheaper than CGI. <laughs> Go fig. And fortunately, f- finally, on this blistering planet with no water so far, finally the sun sets and the next one rises. And everybody's like, well, bugger that. <laughs> yeah. To my mind, not the best special effects here, because we have a very bright sky that somehow darkens as it approaches the sun. We see it has three suns. Yes. Three suns? Bloody hell. A red and yellow one that are clustered close together, and, and a blue, blue one, one. Yes. Which, in the, in the commentary track, people keep referring to the blue one as the cool one. In physics, that's not how it works. Blue is a way hotter color. Yes. Because in, Higher energy. Yes, yeah. exactly. Black body radiation, objects of a certain temperature no, emit light of a certain frequency, totally. and the higher the... Uh, 
But it, after this, it is played as like the blue one is the the night sun, because I mean that's like I guess for for movie makers, blue is night, blue is dark. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. So I, th- I think they might have a little bit of uh, professional bias there that they don't quite grok the physics behind that. Well, I guess it's also it's also like the audience because there's mm. this 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 sort of uh, camera panning shot where some characters are looking at the blue sun and then we t- twist around and there's the red sun going down behind Claudia Black's back. Yeah. And her face is also lit red, but she's facing the blue sun. Her ah, face should be blue. Yes, 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 yes. But so <laughs> they did that originally and nobody got it because uh. it just looked like I guess a Teletubby <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> And now it's off for some exploration. Yes, Rick has escaped at this point. Uh, he's managed to do a very impressive little arm twist on himself to get out of his uh, weird binding thing. Dislocates his own shoulders right. to lift them up high enough to escape. And, and then I'm, he's... Qu- I'm not quite sure. Like, how did he know that there was a gap there? How did he could he see the thing that he was reaching for? Because he was still blindfolded at that there point. There was a close-up that he could see through the gap in, oh, his, okay. in his blindfold. Yeah, it, that, don't yeah. worry about it too much. It does give us a lovely view of his fantastic lenses. Oh, God, yes. He called those the uh, Vin Diesel called those the hubcaps, oh. uh, which were experimental at the time. And like most of the time that you see close-ups of them, there's a bit of CGI enhancement. Yeah. But the rest of the time, they're all just uh, practical. Uh, I and think they were like swim goggles or something like that. What the lenses on his eyes? Oh, sorry, I thought you were talking about the the, the goggles that he was wearing. No, <laughs> no, no. Those were those were thick, like multi-layer lenses, which on the first day of filming, they could not get off him. Oh. Yeah. They had to fly in an optometrist from three hours away. Oh, the contacts you're talking about. To help get the contacts Ooh, out safely crud. and protect his eyes. Crud, yes. But no, also I was talking about the, the, little, the, the little goggles that he wears. Oh, those, his uh, welding goggles or yeah, goggles. swim goggles or whatever it is. Signature for the character of Riddick, you know, uh, the buzz cut and the goggles. Yes. So while looking for Riddick, uh, uh, Johns and Shaza see some trees. Trees. Trees mean water. Yeah. Turned out to be not trees, just a little weird vertebrae. Because when they crest the hill where these trees are growing, they find what looks like an elephant graveyard yes. with lots of bones. Don't, don't go to the shadowy place. <laughs> and it's a beautiful like set that they've created. It's, it's made up of bones. We see Riddick hiding there. There's these cages of ribs, really dense ribs for megafauna. Riddick being a little bit of a creeper because he's, like, he's almost he's got his knife out and he like... Cuts off this little lock from uh, Fry's head without her even noticing, and he's just like doing this little creepazoid sniffy thing, and then flicking it off into the. Uh... Still not exactly sure what to think about that. Maybe just like taking her scent, so he'll be able to find her. I think it was just like director trying to establish him as a creep and a dangerous guy. Yeah, especially yeah. since he can do this like behind Fry while right. she's talking with Johns. Exactly. Yes. You know, if you could have stayed back at the ship. You probably should have. If we don't find water, you know what happens. I wanted to get away. Lucina captain's so ready to leave her ship. Shazza has more insights. Like she spots some some spires on the on the horizon. Mm-hmm. Let me see. There's the, people have separated a bit. I think Into various tasks. Yeah, Zeke goes about digging graves for the people who are dead. Yes, well, you dig the graves. I'll hold the fort, old boy. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's gone off to those those spires, what, what I think are described as salt spires. Yeah, I, I'd call them termite mounds. That's how they more how they key yeah. to me, especially when they turn out to be hollow later. Yep. And the rest of the group that are that are exploring, they find some stuff buried in the ground, including... Yes, a toy. With a, with a dome head 
that once they wipe the sort of dust off, it starts operating because it's it's some kind of solar technology. Right, which we see later again in the solar vehicle. Yeah. Apparently there's this technology, there's a, there's a dome with these sort of shiny blades inside, and when sunlight hits it... I mean, okay, so it looks a bit like a radioscope. A radioscope? I think that's what they're called. So it, 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 they're generally about light bulb size, uh-huh. and they have a four petals inside, generally uh, diamond shapes, uh, right. on, on a cross, and they're reflective on one side and black on the other. Right. And I think they are either uh, low pressure or near vacuum or might fill, be filled with gas. And if you put them in the sun, then because one side is uh, absorbent and the, one, the other side is reflective, right. they actually start turning. And is that does that work in full vacuum, or is it because of like slight temperature dif- differences? It's, or I think just it's because of temperature actual... differences, and therefore, like it starts emitting like uh, stuff. So it probably has to oh, be full vacuum; otherwise, the resistance would be too high uh, in order to actually start turning. I think they're called radioscopes. I like that. And I think I know what you're talking yeah. about. Yeah, uh, light sails basically. Essentially, which yes. Apparently, produces enough energy with this technology to power like mechanical objects. Yeah, which seems like, there's like do a some lot. sci-fi hand waving here, especially seems the fact that it's like, like a lot. It has to turn around because, like, turning around. It, I mean, the spinning action doesn't generate that much energy. So the energy, like enough to drive a vehicle, does not come from a slowly spinning. Solar, suns are not barely, that powerful. Yeah, exactly. That's Although I did notice that the red and yellow suns are a lot more powerful. Or, mm-hmm. You know, they get a lot more juice out of it because all these devices, as they approach this settlement where the toy belongs to, they find they find various devices and tubes and the imam. Oh, yes, yes. I really liked that line earlier on when uh, uh, Paris opens one of his antiques, which is a sarcophagus with booze inside. Booze? Yes. Right, and the, and the imam uh, refuses the booze. And, uh, but uh, you know we're in the desert, right? All deserts have water. Yes, that's right. They do. Uh, yeah. Like the fact that you're on a planet where life is possible means that there's water everywhere. you just got to find it. So they do a little bit of exploring. They find out, like, okay, what's this? Like, this seems to be an old settlement. We have no idea what or how it uh, is, where it came from, but definitely human. Yep. Uh, They were geologists. It's an uncharted planet, so they were hopping from rock to rock, just doing some science and seeing uh, seeing about its suitability. Yes. She notices that there's no lights anywhere because... This yeah. is a planet with eternal light, so they yeah. don't have any electrical really lights. need that. And she discovers an orrery. Good word use. Yes, yes. I love that. I learned that from uh, the Dark Crystal. Uh, what was her name again? The Magra? Magra? Smogra? She has Something the, like that. No, it doesn't The three-eyed right. woman with one eye burned out. Yes, that's the one. From, uh, 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 Ogma? Yes. Ogma, that Ogma, sounds right. that's it, yes. Yes, an orrery is a mechanical model of, well, the solar system, but in this case, our solar solar system. system, Yes. Showing, I mean, I love that it has light bulbs. Yes. Showing the uh, the three suns and the and the multiple planets and the ringed gas giant and how they and how they sort of operate. All right, now there's a bit of a scare back on the ship, where Paris is sitting. Under parasol. I love that line. It's like, it's remarkable how you can do Without it. the necessities of life, provided you have the... the small uh, luxuries. luxuries. Well That's the one. done. Because, yes. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't have water, he doesn't have food, he does have booze, and he does have a cigar and a parasol. I mean, it's like if you have to go, <laughs> there's worse ways to go than that, I suppose. There's better ways to not go, though. Right. Because, okay, alcohol is a diuretic. Yes. 
This conversation is, to me, a diuretic, actually. <laughs> I'm noticing that right now. Need, Sorry for the people do, at home. Do we need a little wee-wee break here? <laughs> no, 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 because okay. something exciting is about to happen. Uh, Shazza, Claudia Black, yes. she's welding. She looks so good when she's welding. She does. She's got her hair loose instead of all tied up. She's got a black tank top. Really, really approve of. Uh, she's hanging out with Jack while they're doing some welding or cutting or whatever. And Paris comes down and says, was that noise? Was that you? And, oh, no. Oh, there's someone outside. Oh, quick. And they take positions using these uh, a war pick, I think, these uh, ancestral yeah, weapons. Yes, so he's got some, like, weird weapons which are all, like, very valuable and old because he's, like, an antiques dealer. Yep. And this? And that's a hunting blowdown pipe from northern Papua New Guinea. And that's very, very rare since the tribe is now extinct. Because I couldn't hunt shit with these things, be my guess. And Shazza's guarding the door as someone comes through and uh, uh, Jack yells, stop, stop, stop. Because it's just this panicked man, this survivor. Goes, oh, God, thank God. I thought it was the only survivor. They nearly kill the only other survivor from the entire crash. I thought I was the only one who got out of the crash alive. <laughs> and then Zeke shoots him in the back. Actually, <laughs> because he thought it was Riddick. Yeah, yeah. and he's... And his response to that is great. Like, he realised, oh, it's just another survivor. Crikey. Crab and I have to, like, bury them as well. Which I'm, leads us... Yes, yeah. yes, because he finds this tarp-covered hole. Oh, convenient, there's a hole already. I thought he made that, like, I thought that was the hole that he'd been digging at. Oh, and that's not- possible, And he yeah. notes that, like, the one corner has come down, and when he jumps back in, hey, there's a hole. There's a hole in my hole. Okay. Now I think we can accelerate a bit. Okay. Because... Beat by beat, we're going through this movie forever. And it's a movie based on suspense. And you have seen it at home, haven't you? Yes. You better have. You better have. Because down this hole are some creatures which grab him and, and, and pull him in. Zeke, gone. Zeke! Scratch Zeke. But no body to be found. And so no. when Shazza gets there and sees all the blood, she thinks Riddick done it. Yes. What did you do to Zeke? What did you do to him? Shazza! Just kill him. Just somebody goddamn kill him before he can... Um, so Riddick is captured. Yeah, by... You're right. John's actually holds his own against uh, Riddick quite well because yeah. he rips off his goggles. Yeah. And Riddick has a condition where he's extremely sensitive to light and so he can't operate when the sun's out. Yeah. Uh, we see his his view is... Uh, it's kind of weird. It's sort of violet and uh, all yeah. the highlights every, are blown every, out. Every, everything lit from behind. The interesting thing is, like, even later on in the movie, when it's dark, he'll occasionally, like, look around with his bare sight and then still put his goggles back on even though it's dark outside. Yeah, it just, it just looks yeah, cool. Yeah, I suppose. Right, For yeah. the record, it's Shazza that knocks him out. Pantac jab. <laughs> Claudia Black punched out Vin Diesel's character. Yep. Yep, establishing canon. There are some conversations in the dark. There's a lot of sort of moral conversations in the dark. And I know we're skipping over those. It's a bit of a shame because Rada Mitchell, she does a great job. Far better on her acting and her and her character than on her American accent, which shows <laughs> up every now and Yes, again. Riddick manages to convince them that, like, oh, I didn't do it. Like, there was something else in there. And like, He's not in the hole. We looked. Look deeper. And Fry thinks that's a fantastic idea, and she goes inside, and like, there's a lot of tunnel creeping, and ooh, suspense. Sorry to uh, go about this. Like, oh, little <laughs> yep. little skittery bits in the corners moving away. She's on a safety line, although everybody yes. else is staying outside, and she's got on a safety line that they're giving her some lee on. She finds a foot, yeah, a severed foot. So that's what happened to Zeke, and we see these sort of creatures skitting around behind her. Yes, I'm just like, okay, what's going on here? What is this? What kind of creatures are they? And, like, they can't be insects because this is a low-oxygen environment, so insects cannot be this big. So it has to be some sort of other... Right, okay, yeah. Yeah. I mean, on Earth, they anyway, be because... Bre- they have to be lung breathers, basically, yeah. I know, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, here we have arthropods who breathe through their skin, so they're 
they just don't scale very well because mm. you're as you yeah. get bigger your your oxygen requirements scale at a cubic function yep. whereas your oxygen intake scales at a square function so lots of screaming lots of like oh no i'm being assaulted by like strange creatures in the dark she ends up climbing through one of the termite mound thingies and this is where the safety line starts becoming a bit of a hindrance i know because she can't get out because it's too tight yep. oh hoisted by your own petard and yep. apparently no ability to sort of reach down and unclip it no i mean you'd think that you'd have like one of those like seatbelt cutters that you can like use to uh she needs her arms to climb though yeah she does get yeah she just get dragged back a few times uh even when she's like final to safety then suddenly the line gets yanked back again she gets like smacked back into the termite mound until someone finally manages to cut the line because they did come and find her, and they smashed through the salt pillar yeah. to uh, to go and get her. Jack, the young boy at this point, is very proud of that. I heard you cry. I heard you cry. But yeah, so there are creatures down there, and now I'd like to talk about these creatures. Okay. So that we can speed through the rest of the film. Because <laughs> yeah. I think that these are fascinating. A lot okay. has been said about them. We see three beings, and I think in the, in, in the course of this film, we see these sort of bat-like yeah, the tiny little ones that we see first. Yeah. Yep, we see much larger versions with, with boneheads, sort of more dragon-like, mm-hmm. uh, that don't swarm so much. And we see these glowworms. And in the script, oh, yes. these are three stages of the same creature. Ah, oh, okay, interesting. Especially because the, the worm, the little sort of larval stages glow, and the animals are shown to be cannibalistic. You know, the adults attack right, each other. Right, so I guess that's the way to protect them from the adults, because the adults can't stand the light. So the, the, yes. the, the young ones are, uh, yeah, glowing glowworms. Because I've long, like, I've long wondered, like, why do insects metamorphose? They have a larval stage, then they uh-huh. pupate, and then they go into an adult stage. And as it was explained to me, it's so that you can have a lot more individuals that don't compete with each other. Because the, the larval stage doesn't compete with the adult stage for food. Right, yeah, yeah. Completely They're not concerned different. with reproduction. Yeah. In fact, like some butterflies, the adult stage doesn't have a mouth because it's not... It's just not in, no, interesting. No, it's just meant food. to like find a mate, breed, and die. Exactly. Yeah. So here you have three stages, each of which apparently occupy a different ecological niche yeah. without competing with each yes. other. Yes. So about the 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 mature stage, that's called. I assume the big ones are the mature stage. Yes. The yes. design, I love the design. They kind of look like a cross between hammerhead sharks and the aliens from Starship Troopers. And like you know, and I noticed a lot of similarities oh, yeah. between, in in the design between those. It's, well, uh, unsurprising, it's Patrick Tatopoulos, the creature designer for, yeah. for both of them. Oh, okay, that makes sense then, yeah. But he designed the sort of axe shape to the head, and it was uh, David Toohey who suggested the, the horizontal outriggers right. with the idea of this is a sonar-sensing creature, probably has benefits from more stereoscopy. Yeah. Right, so right. the sensor's wider apart, yeah. and then you get a clearer stereo image. Now, I long sort of criticized this film for, oh, well, clearly it's a, it's a, it's a planet devoid of life and they've, it's been exterminated by these creatures and how could there still be so many? We only see 20 square miles of an entire planet. Yes. Plus it could be something like, what are they called? Chicades? Those like, you know... Oh, like cicadas, cicadas, yes. Yes, that's one. But have a multi-decade reproductive cycle. cycle yeah, apparently they... since this place, this desert planet, apparently starts raining quite hard during the, uh, the midnight season. I mean, it's... It's 20 square miles of desert. Okay, so I'm going to like have a little bit of nitpicking here about the orbital mechanics. Uh, oh, <laughs> yes, because at one point we see the, the gas giant. Yes, so it has a dual ring. Yes, which I knew you would be upset about. It has two <laughs> planes of rings, and then as soon as that started coming up, I saw you furiously actually, scribbling actually, down. I was like, I, oh, yes, actually, yes. Actually, I couldn't quite tell whether or not they are two planes or are they, they are two sets of rings which are... 
No, they're two parallel planes, right? And they're they're uh, sort of rotating counter. Yeah, that's that's the thing that counter like, rotating. Me off more, the fact that they're counter rotating that would. But also two planes. You yeah. cannot have two optimal no, gravitational planes. That is around. impossible. They would have to intersect, which I think they actually do in a later shot. Uh, oh. towards, I think if, in one of the shots towards the end of the movie, you can actually see that they're actually at an angle towards each other. Wait, so... And then they would be going through each other and it wouldn't be planes anymore. It would just be a cloud because of the orbital movements and mechanics. It would Especially how dense they are. Right, yes. And also, if, you're, if the sun was being occluded by a gas giant with rings, yeah. it wouldn't be dark. The rings would scatter an enormous amount of light. Right. Yes. Totally. Like yes. even as as sparse as they are. Yes. No. They would like just staggering amount of light. Have you ever seen a, a picture of? I think it was Cassini. Cassini is the Saturn probe, right? Mm, sounds about right. Took a photo of the dark side of Saturn. Yeah. With the sun on the other side, uh, and it is gorgeous. The rings are alive with light. They're 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 bright enough and diffuse enough mm-hmm. to illuminate the edges of Saturn. Like the whole thing is just hypnotic. Yeah. And that's what you'd see. You wouldn't see pitch black. Pitch black! No, you wouldn't, yeah. Yes, Cassini is the Saturn one, because Juno was the Jupiter one. And I know that Juno was the Jupiter one. Yes, that's right, because all of Jupiter's moons are named after various lovers yes, that Jupiter and had. Juno was uh, Jupiter's wife, so <laughs> she was sent there to check up on Jupiter and his lovers. On her slut husband. Yeah, yes. <laughs> And they say that astrophysicists don't have sense of humor. <laughs> okay, let's charge through the film because we've, we've talked about actually most of the things that I find really interesting. Let me see. There's much more conversations with, with Riddick. Johns is revealed to be a mercenary. Oh, you didn't know that. You're Johns and a cop. He's got that nickel slick badge and that blue uniform, but he's just a merc. Yes, not a police officer, a drug addict and mercenary. Yeah, yeah. he's like injecting his eyeballs with morphine, which is like, that's not a really clever, well, I mean, whatever. Anestophine or whatever, and, yeah. uh, which is something that he's denied. Oh, yes, remember that co-pilot or the, uh, the navigator? Yes. He turned out to be alive after the crash. He had a big spike sticking through him, and yeah. he uh, did not die in comfort. Fry, like, it, hold, it really holds it against uh, Johns that uh, he didn't uh, give him some of those drugs to let, have him die more comfortably. Yeah, with which he's right. But Johns actually turns it around, grabs her by the by the wrist, which is a horrible thing to do, but then uses that to put her hand on a scar on his back. Yeah. Which he says is from his first run-in with uh, uh, yeah, Riddick. Yeah, where he got shifted by Riddick. He went for the sweet spot and missed. And there's a chunk of the shift still in there, pressing against his cord, and he can feel it. So I'll do my own pain management, thank you. So he's biting back, like yeah. his drug usage is pain management, which I kind of... Yeah. I kind of dig as, uh, you know, it makes the judgment much more complicated. It's just that you could have done something and you didn't. Yeah, well, look to thine own ass first, right, Carolyn? So it turns out the archaeologists had a little ship there which still can fly, except they need five power canisters from their own ship in order to make it go. They go and get one of them to start with, just to do a systems check. Mm-hmm. And this is when Johns reveals to Carolyn another little sort of wrinkle. Maybe I should tell you how Riddick escaped. He can pilot. Yeah, I jacked a prison transport, made a hell of a good run before I tracked his ass down. I know we're speeding through it. I know that not everybody is as impressed with this film, but I love how tightly it holds together. Mm. They free Riddick because chains clearly don't work on him. Yeah. And, well, at least Johns isn't inclined to kill him because he's worth more alive. Yes. 
So he might kind of makes a deal with uh, Riddick's like, oh, I'll let you go, but then you remember this, and he immediately pulls a gun on him and goes like, well, you remember this. Now, like, o- a- already giving him like, okay, we're even again. Like, you didn't, you let me go, I didn't kill you, so we're even now, and I'm going to kill you anyway later. It's a lot of sexy yeah. grunting. <laughs> it's very uh, Top Gear-ish. Sorry, uh, Top Gun-ish, I guess. <laughs> not, not Top Gear. Very different <laughs> yes. vibes. I, I, I would not want to see, like, the, the Top Gear guys playing, playing volleyball? Uh, volleyball with their shirts off. Hey, some people Actually, might. Actually, kind of would, but, yeah. but not for sexual gratification. <laughs> and some people would, and that's no, really, that, really yes. awesome. Very good point. And then the sun starts to go down, and they have to sort of rush. If we need anything from the crash ship, I suggest we kick on. That sandcat solar. Because their only transportation is solar-based, and they have to rush back to the ship to get the other power cells so mm-hmm. they can get the skiff moving. But the sun overtakes them, and sun sunset falls, and the, the creatures well, start coming out. Yes. I mean, they are at their own ship when the sun goes down. Uh, the Hunter Gratzner, named weirdly for the special effects company that made the model. Seems fair. <laughs> and uh, then the creatures kill Claudia Black. Yes, end of movie. Thank you for what yes. you're listening to so far, Next time we'll t- <laughs> Honestly, I'd, I'd forgotten that she dies halfway through. Yeah, halfway and, through. Uh, oh, gosh, <laughs> yes. Yes, because the creatures come for her and, 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 and Riddick as they're running, and they both lie flat on the ground, and these, these the sort of juvenile bat-like creatures, like, they, they, they fly past them, and, okay, stay down, stay down. Just stay there! Stay down, Shazza! Just stay come down! But Shazza, she's so close to the ship, and she wants to make a run for it, and they overtake her. And, and she gets just ripped in half by the bat-like things. Yeah, and oh. you even see, like, the swarm flying away with her top half, which still is screaming. still screaming. <laughs> yes. Yikes. Yes, that's a very harsh way to go. There's, yeah. There's, no, I think that's, that's fair to say. And then the sun goes down, and as Claudia Black leaves the picture, so does all the light and joy. Yes. So I kind of like, why don't they just, like, hold it out in their ship? And then you get the, like, oh, but we don't know how long the nighttime is going to last. And it seems like, I mean, okay, I'll accept that as a hand wave for the uh, st- uh, plot story, that they can't, like, sit. Oh, it's going to sit here for 24 hours, you know? So it's like, sit here, be safe. Who knows how long a day is there? Right. Right, you, I mean... They could have worked that out from the orrery. They could yeah, have worked that out from whatever. There's a lot of, inf- yeah, lot of, inf- I mean, they're lot talking of information about there. Days and weeks, but those have to be like Earth standard days and weeks because right. you have no idea how, how this works. Right? Yeah. So now they find a case of flares, one of them that lights up red and immediately turns green, which I thought was kind of amusing. Yeah. Maybe it's, they have like a different chemical starter than the, the, the one that burns it. Lots of torches. Like they, they, they get a lot of mileage out of that welding torch. Yeah. Yeah, because they scavenge the, the Hunter Gratzner for anything that emits light. Oh, yes, because they've realized those creatures... And they have tubes! Oh, they have God, they've got the disco tubes. It's so cool. So they, they make this caravan for themselves where they wrap themselves in glowing tubes and torches. Which get, and the, which get pulled out of lockers because, like, they open a hatch and there's this glowing tube wrapped around the thing. Fucking wise! Like, yes. I don't know, space mechanics, and I somehow it. it's... I mean, maybe they're hugely radioactive. Who, who knows? And At this point, it's probably still safer to go with that. But, uh, exactly, yes. because they have to make it across this desert. This was Australian winter, by the way. Uh-huh. This, was, this was 10 degrees Celsius, 50 oh, yeah. Fahrenheit. Okay. During the daytime. So, like, between, between scenes, even during the day, the lighting crew would set up, like, 5K floodlights that everybody could sort of warm their hands against. around. Yeah. Oh. But still, like, these actors, Radha Mitchell, she was bare-armed and had a punch-up yeah. for wearing very low 
cut. I noticed that there were a tops. few gratuitous boob shots when she goes. She was crawling into the tunnels. Yes. Yeah. That was a little bit um, cheesy. On the yeah. director's commentary, David Tui even goes like, "To all the twelve-year-old boys in the audience, you're welcome." <laughs> Boo. Yes. But those poor people, like, they had to be misted with water to simulate sweat, and they had to pant and and take off their clothes. And that makes them even colder, of course. Yep. Oh, so yes, we get a long series of shots where Riddick is pulling the sled along with the five canisters that they needed. So it turns out they need, like, they need 90 jiggly watts, uh, uh, and uh, each one of those canisters produces 20, so they need five of them. And they're 35 kilos each. each. Yes. They've already got one, so that leaves 140 kilos that he's pulling. Yeah. Very impressive for that. Which is, like, not bad. On a sled, it's probably quite easy to do. Which is, like, easy, but still doable. Yeah. Later on, for some unclear reason, they ditch the sled, and he just pulls them across the ground. And it looks like so much more work. And they're jangling all over the place. I know. Like, how are they not being damaged? Yeah, that's exactly my thing. It's like, like, I would have left them on the sled, because they're they're going to be easier. The weight of the sled, especially if it's, like, a thin sheet of metal, is going to easily offset... The coefficient of friction right. that if you have with irregularly shaped things that you're dragging over the ground. So that's... Okay. I'm looking at the recording and we are way, we are way into the weeds. So how yeah. about this? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to summarize the rest of the film within one breath. Let's see if I can do this. Okay, go for it. They try to make it across the desert. Johns actually approaches Riddick saying, well, we need some bait. Uh, and proposes chopping up Jack, who turns out to be a girl who's menstruating and therefore attracting lots of yes. lots of creatures. Riddick, oh, no, that was another breath. Sorry, sorry, no, uh, already uh, failed uh, there. Uh, uh, Riddick instead chops up Johns, which nobody seems too bothered about. They don't seem no. to fully realize what. Yeah, happened. there's like fight breaks out. Johns loses. Johns gets. Does he get like killed by one of the creatures? I'm not yeah, sure. he, yes, does. he does. Get killed yeah, by, by a bunch yeah. of those creatures. Yeah, uh, they try to make it. There's, there's no way to make it. They huddle in the cave, and Riddick abandons because them. caves were such a good idea so far. Because every time they went into a cave so far, it worked out really well for them. Yeah, but by this time they're down to Molotov torches. Uh, yes, and it started to rain, Another so the point, torches like, are going yeah, out. Yeah, so like, aren't alcohol? Isn't doesn't alcohol supposed to burn blue instead of yellow? But oh, is it? Oh, I mean, there might just be like there might be enough soot in here, like because there's other things from the wick. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, I know that like you've got these little alcohol burners, which are sometimes used for wax sculpting and stuff like that, and they just like they they burners with an almost invisible flame. Well, that's what you want, right? Very low, very low, very contamination. Yeah, Yeah, very low temperature as well. Um, I'm amazed that you didn't yell when uh, Paris P. Ogilvy, God, why do I know that name? Said that (laughs) anything over 45 proof burns rather well. I mean, it burns. It's kind of true. No, 45%. Yeah. That's 90 proof. Oh, I didn't catch that. Yeah. Ah. Uh, yeah. See? I'm, uh, you I, taught me well. That's I, why I caught obviously, that. Obviously, yeah. I just locked onto the 45 and go like, yeah, that's about right. But yeah, 45 proof is not the same as 45%. And Riddick is prepared to leave them all behind. Locks yes. them in this in this cave that they're in, goes off with his power cells to the skiff. And I must have like not been not paying attention for a bit because Fry apparently ends up with him. I did kind of miss that, like, how Fry ended up with him at the ship. Okay, so there's two parts to it. How did she get out of the cave, and how did she survive? Yeah. Uh, The first part's never really revealed. Like, other than maybe she pushed the... uh, uh, stone blocking the entrance. ...aside. But once their last flickering flame goes out in this cave... Yeah, the glowy bugs, the first stage of the... uh, Let's call them the larval stage of the creatures here. Yeah, and they take their bottles and they put the glowy bugs in there. And yeah. now they've got glowing bottles. They mm-hmm. carve, they scrape the uh, the labels off. Yeah, to get more glowy. 
And so with this glowy light, she's able to safely traverse this creature-infested desert. Right. Also because she doesn't have Jack with her. Because, yes. Like the, yeah, yeah. Also, why can't, why can't they provide the circumstances for Jack to, to just wash? Yes. Right? Or change clothes with, uh, with Jack. Like because, yeah. yeah, menstruation is the, is, does involve the issuance of blood for people who have that particular plumbing. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, I mean, no, I, right. like, what's the what's the word? Vagina havers, or I guess uterus havers, specifically. Yeah, in this case, yes. I'm not speaking from a place of knowledge. What do I know? I don't know what the no. situation is. But so she makes it safely to Riddick, and here comes like the, I think the only other really interesting part of mm-hmm. this film, which to me is the, the the culmination, because Riddick is suddenly like. He's into Fry because she has a strong survival instinct, which he appreciates in a woman. And she's trying to convince him, like, I promised the others I'd come back with more light to come with me. And he says, nah. Instead, why don't you come with me? Mm. And she breaks down. And he becomes almost parental. Yeah. She's having the same issue she had at the beginning of the movie where she was, like, willing to cut away everybody else in order to save what's left of the ship, or at least herself. Yeah. And she's not willing to make that same choice anymore. And it's an enormous conflict and a fantastic performance by Radha Mitchell. Mm. And, and we stay on her while Riddick's walking around her, like telling, telling her everything she needs to hear. Take my hand. Come on. Come on. Look, no one's going to blame you. Save yourself, Carolyn. Come on. Come on. That's it. That's it. And he, he even comes down to help her up the ramp and yeah. into the ship. Off we go. And she goes, no, not doing it. You listen to me. I am the captain of this ship. And I am not leaving anyone on this rock. She attacks him, which he easily rebuffs. But the sort of intensity mm. of her insistence, she convinces him to go back. The, the both of them go back with more light. To fetch the imam and Jack. Yeah, there's a final dash across the darkness back to the ship. But Riddick is cut off from the rest. The rest makes it back to the skiff, but uh, Riddick yes. is stuck behind some boxes and two of these predators, these and, bioraptors. And now it's the imam who goes like, come on, we can leave. Yeah, which I, I was also a little bit interested by. Like, I think, I think his assumption is that Riddick is dead. Except you can still hear him yelling and screaming in the oh, background. Oh, can you? Uh, well... It, it, oh. That might be actually when, when, when uh, Fry decides to actually go running off to actually leave him. But yes, the mom is clearly going like, come on, let's go. <laughs> and I, I'm, I'm interested in that because the imam has witnessed the death of all three of the, the boys that he was ministering to. Uh, Jack's still alive. Well, the three fellow, yeah. uh, or Chrislims, I think they're, uh, okay. they're called in the yeah. script, uh, that were on Hajj with him, that he's, that he's responsible for, and one after another have been picked off by the bio-raptors, as yeah. the creatures are known in the script. He is still protective of Jack. I think he was from the, from the beginning. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, there was an interesting conversation between him and Riddick, where the imam has prayed with everyone else, but not yet with Riddick, oh, yes. and offered him... It is painless. It's pointless. Because you do not believe in God. You may not believe in God, but he believes in you. Yeah. No, no, you don't understand. I believe in God. I hate the f- And he tests the imam's faith. Like, you know, you're, all your boys are, 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 are dead. Mm. How much faith do you still have? Where is your God now? Yeah. And it's when Riddick returns to the cave with Fry that the imam sort of almost taunts him and says, There is my God, Mr. Riddick. Yeah. 
which I kind of love. Uh, I always dislike that self-righteousness in religious people when they go like, oh, when, when they use that, when they use human nature as proof of the existence of God. No, he says it's not there is God, there is my God. Uh, there is what I believe in. The, the, the sort of transformative power of humanity... I think that's a bit of a cop out of calling that God, but let's not go into it. We could like turn this into an entirely different podcast about religion, which I, I certainly don't can, <laughs> which I don't think we should do at this point. Fair <laughs> enough. So Fry goes to save uh, uh, Riddick, yes, who's in a bad way, and I kind of like that. Like he took out one Bioraptor earlier, two of them. Not so easy. Except he manages to set them on each other, basically, by doing this little duck and weave thing in front of one of them, like messing with his sonar vision by staying in the sweet spot, which he really clearly doesn't. I mean, I can see, like, I can see what was intended here, but like, yeah, if I just st- keep in the same space, then the oh yeah, in the blind spot right between them, and as it turns its head, he turns his body along right, with exactly it. Exactly that. I mean, you can see what they were doing, but like, yeah, he wasn't clearly a, a creature that hunts by sound or by uh, echolocation. echolocation would be able to like notice that. Like, but it's a, it's a cool concept. It's a cool idea. Yeah. So she she lifts him up, and he he sort of taunts her, like as he asked her before, like, are, are you willing to die for them? And she says, I'm willing to try for them. Mm. No, you didn't answer the question. I would, I would die for them. And. I mean, in his moment of weakness, when he's when he's wounded and she has to sort of carry him and and, and tell him like get the f up, and then she's stabbed. Did you for a second away, yeah. think that he stabbed her? Yes, I did. Oh, good for they a moment. Really they, did yeah, a good no, job for a, of it. For, yeah, for a moment there, I thought that he stabbed her and then she got yanked away by the bioraptor, and then it turns out like oh no, it was like the bioraptor thingy who got her. Yeah, yeah, dragged into the night, and that's the end of who was, to my mind, established as the hero of this film. Such oh, a oh, totally, yeah. bold narrative move. And Riddick says, not for me. Not for me. Not for me. It is so shocking to him that someone would sacrifice themselves for him, mm. who he considers unworthy of, of saving. But um, she clearly was willing to come, because she came back for him. So she was clearly also willing to die for him. And that completes his, yeah. his sort of redemption and transformation in this film, this, this realization that if someone's willing to do that for someone so unworthy as me, mm. I have to, I can be better. I, I have to be better or, yeah. or whatever. So he goes to the ship, starts firing it up. Yep, lots more switches and buttons. And then he stops it again. And he turns everything off. Turns all the lights off. And mom is like, excuse me. Yes, we have seen that these creatures are capable of punching through spaceships. They've done it to the last yes. spaceship. Could you, would you mind you, could we please get going, please, here? And he says, not without saying goodnight. Yeah, and like, we wait for all the creatures to like, come back up to the uh, ship, and then he fires it up again, and toasts toasts them, all as many as he can at least. Punches through them, and we uh, we fly off with uh, the the last sort of conversation where Jack asks, A lot of questions, whoever we run into, could even be a Merc ship. So what the hell do we tell him about you? And he's like, well, Riddick died. It's like, I'm just one of the other people. He died somewhere on that planet. Hey, alluding to his own transformation and that the old oh. Riddick died oh, down there yeah, and a new Riddick point, was yes. born and we fly off. and Yeah. And this is where I think you can see that, like, the two rings of the planet are not in the same plane. But, sorry, they're not in parallel planes. You may indeed be right. That's mm-hmm. it. End, end credits. <laughs> 
there ends this film, which I guess the final line, you know, good night, would have a lot more impact if this film was still called Nightfall. Oh, which was was the original working title? Yes, when the Wheat Brothers, Ken and Jim Wheat, wrote it. Strangely enough, David Tui contributed a draft to uh, Alien 3, which had like 10 writers before it finally got made. And they sort of riffed on that and then made this film Nightfall about an intergalactic outlaw called Tara Krieg, who's covered in tribal tattoos that she got from her tribe of intergalactic nomads (laughs) and this techno-Christian called Noah Thoth or what the f*** ever on this nighttime planet where they would be attacked by the ghosts of the aliens who lived there and... Oh, right. That's the, the the huge wooden construction, right? Is that Alien 3? That's one of the drafts, yeah. Right. I think because that came later. It was later. supposed to be a monastery or something. and then they, yeah, yeah, they actually started filming that, and yeah. then that draft was rejected, and um, then a, yeah. they had these sets. Well, what can, we, what can we write around these sets? We'll make it a foundry. Yeah, a wooden foundry. That sounds like an excellent idea. Yeah, so... She gives me a woody. She sure does. She sure does. Damn. I mean, our Woody is legally mandated to go to Claudia Black, right? Again, like three weeks running. She can have as many... Yeah, yes, you all heard that. (laughs) Or you didn't, whatever you want to say. Whoopsie doodle, I'm Uh, very sorry. No, okay, fair, fair, fair. It's a shame she didn't get more... uh, Speaking lines, but what she did, she did fantastic. Like Zeke as well, I really liked that. Yeah, Zeke was a great guy. Other than that, ooh, oh, let's see. We can sort of isolate the sort of bit. Did you like the bit in the light or the half of the movie that was in the dark? I like the light bits better, to All be right. honest. The dark bits were just like, yeah, a lot of like creepy crawlies in the dark. I think the whole setup, I think what would go to this as my Woody for this movie would be the whole setup with basically the approaching darkness being the the problem. Oh, yeah. When they, when they started describing that, like, separate from the orrery and whether or not the orbital mechanics would work but the fact that they have this problem which they've learned about that we've got these creatures they don't like the light yeah and now that they're an unknown period of darkness is approaching and we are screwed yeah it's yeah. such a primal fear yeah right it's such a it's such an ancestral human animal fear of the dark for uh, at least for diurnal creatures for other creatures right. it's a season of opportunity and as, uh, well, we've which, seen. and and corollary to that, I would say the fact that like things change so much when and, and like when we get the rain and like this desert planet suddenly starts, yeah, we, we suddenly get a weather front and rain right. starts happening and it, I mean, this say, all alludes to the fact that there might be more here that like suddenly this planet goes through an incredible boom and bust cycle every time it goes through the uh, uh, yeah, I mean through the darkness period. There are there are species that depend on forest fires. Mm. To yeah. uh, to propagate, you know, species of trees whose I think their 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 pine cones need to be burned so that they release their spores, which are carried on the thermals, and that's how that species. No yeah. forest fires, no reproduction. So you're Woody. I mean, I really do want to say Claudia Black, but I guess I have to draw it wider and just say Australia. Nah. Right. I love these vistas, these sort of beautiful settlements, this this vibe of... I know that, you know, the frontier vibe is inextricably tied with colonialism, uh, oh, which yes. I'm not super into, but no. let's... I mean, we, here we can imagine that that fiction is real, that it was genuinely an unsettled planet, and they were the first... Uh, uh, human yes. settlers, and there was a few, yeah, a few geologists like figuring out whether or not they can make. Oh, this I was work talking about those, yeah, yeah, right. That yeah. they had their technology yeah. optimized for uh, uh, this bright sun, and they were wiped out. And 
I, I thought mean, that was really intriguing. Yeah, I can see how that would be. Thing they go like, oh, this planet is like only once every twenty-two years. Is it in the darkness? Because uh, you'd be able to work that out from uh, orbital mechanics by the time you'd get into space flight. And like, yeah, uh, we'll just weather it out. Yeah, you'd think you know, drop a satellite first, and before you drop your first settlers, right? But you might not want to wait for the full 22-year cycle to finish. And you go like, yeah, in about two years' time, there's going to be a period of like three days where it's going to be dark. You'll be fine. Yeah, not real, not realizing right. that that's when all the creepy crawlies come out. Right, because you wouldn't know the ecosystem. Exactly, yeah. Interesting. <laughs> so that makes sense. My willy is pretty easy. Yeah. It's the, the shot of the, the sort of panning shot of the three suns in the sky. I did not think that that was executed <laughs> particularly well. Executed to the standard of the rest of the film, I should yes. say. Because... Yeah, I mean, they had a really bright sky, and how do you show the sun it showing shining its beams well? Somehow you make it darker around the sun. It's this solarization effect that I don't love. Yeah. Oh, well, I guess you're looking at it from a uh, ph- ph- photography uh, point of view. You know what? View. I'm realizing that we're doing a Farscape uh, <laughs> podcast, ostensibly, so maybe I should retract that, William, and instead yeah. do how far it diverges from the sort of fun and drama that we're used to on, on Farscape. Yeah. Because a lot of this drama comes from, I mean, evil, I guess. Placing, you know, placing selfishness versus uh, yeah. uh, 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 collaboration. And it's a very sort of internal torment. And that's not something I know from Farscape, where no. it's much more about, like, conflicting interests and right. varying desires on a, on a much more... A much more nuanced scale than, than basically life versus death. Yeah, I agree, because the... The threat here, which is the, the the alien monsters, they're basically a force of nature. They're not inherently evil. There's no, no, there's, no there's no malice there. Yeah, as yeah. far as we know, they're just animals. So all of the all of the evil and all of the the actual other than physical threat is from the interaction between the various characters. Yeah, exactly. And that's how you get the uh, yeah both uh, Riddick's redemption arc and Fry's development, where they and Paris getting like. Chomped up because he's just he's just the asshole who's around for uh, I won't say comic relief, but in order to, to be killed off and like have people yeah. not feel bad about at some point. I mean, he is recognizably human. Oh, very much. Right he's there, but for the grace he's of God, greedy, he's he does he's, help when he's feeling courageous, and he does collapse like Rigel, when actually, he's. I guess. Gosh, he really <laughs> he is, is Rigel, isn't it? He is Rigel. Like he's he's fine with helping out and and collective but then he panics and he ruins everything for everyone and then yeah i am a dominar of action i do like that he's got this last sort of moment of defiance where he you know he's just been stabbed and he sees the blood on his hand and he lights a a a, a lighter takes a last swig of booze and blows a flame illuminating the monsters, All the monsters around, him around him yes before they flock on him just as a last fuck you i like that Okay, so here, here's my willy. It's like, it goes to talk about how this wine is, how it's a very fine Shiraz. does not look like a wine at all, and definitely not like a Shiraz. So there's my willy. <laughs> plus, that, plus, wine would not be 45 proof, let alone 45%, and therefore not burnt. But that's another, like... <laughs> well, that was... I mean, Vin Diesel did have to quaff half a liter of it on screen. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> And that's the story so far, Scape. Thank you for joining us. We will be back next week with another Tales of the Uncharted Territories. And, and after that, we will have... Season 3, Episode 19, I Yench, You Yench. In which... A meeting with Scorpius takes a sour turn while Talon crosses a line from which he cannot come back. Oh, no! Oh, 
God, it, there's been so much non-Farscape that I've even forgotten how to do it. Go to pitchblack.com. No, so farscape.com slash links for all the usual links we want to see. We love to receive your fanfic suggestions, your synopses. Keep them coming. And if you want to help keep the lights on and uh, stave off the pitch darkness and the creatures here at SoFarscape Studios, thank you. Uh, uh, you can support our Patreon on sofarscape.com slash links. I'm Kaki. I'm Kay. So, so Farscape, so, so good. good.